Welcome to the Born and Raised Audio Experience. Presented by Onyx. All right, it is almost my favorite time of year, turkey season. Who's ready for it? I like it. That was a little light. Who's ready for some gobblers? Yeah. I like to call them bulls of the spring, but uh, um, I have grown super fond of chasing gobblers. Uh, For me, anytime I can interact with an animal and call it in, it's, uh, it's one of those pinnacle things. So elk, waterfowl, turkeys, it's my favorite thing. I'm going to go through and kind of talk through some of the strategies I've learned over the years. Uh, I've made a lot of mistakes and uh, hopefully can share those mistakes with you guys and kind of cut that learning curve if you're new to it. Um, But yeah, let's jump into this. So I'm going to kind of talk, for me, turkey hunting, um, like I said, it's it's going through and... um, emulating another turkey. Um, and, and the first thing off with calling turkeys, you're going against the biology of what that turkey is. In the springtime, a gobbler is gonna sit, strut, and gobble. What he's trying to do is attract his hens to him. He's, most likely he's gonna be stationary and he's gonna be gobbling and strutting. And he's trying to get those hens to come. So when you're calling a turkey in, you're actually going against what's imprinted on him to do. So uh, that's one thing that I, I've kind of picked up over the years. Um, if you're answering that gobbler all the time, he's saying, yep, I'm over here, come to me. Yep, I'm over here, come to me. So um, the, the biggest thing with turkey hunting is curiosity is going to kill him. It's when you shut up, and that's, that's that final deal. But I'm going to walk through kind of calls, uh, some of the tools that we use. Um, for me, my go-to being proficient is going to be a diaphragm call. Um, my favorite two that I, we run or we make um, is a combo cutter and also the ghost cut. Um, So with a turkey reed versus like an elk reed, you've got multiple layers of latex. And you can see um, as I'm, my routine is kind of pulling those layers of latex apart. um, And that's gonna get those vibrations of the call. Um, So with a a diaphragm call, you can yelp, you can uh, cut, purr, cluck, all of it. It just kind of, and each, cut makes a little bit different sound. So a variety of diaphragm calls, you can get a, a real just soft yelp, true yelp out of it. Um, some you'll get a little bit raspier, deeper call with them. And uh, kind of go through just a couple of sounds you can make. This right here is our ghost cut. Um, it's a pretty straightforward call. It's not too raspy. Uh, the biggest thing when you're using a diaphragm call is tongue placement. And I learned this last year when I was when I was blowing a mouth call. It was super raspy, and I couldn't get that clear note out of it. And what happened, and what I discovered, is my tongue—the tip of my tongue—was past the reed, and it didn't. It, and I'll make some different sounds here for you. And I learned to bring that tip of my tongue up into the pressure of that mouth call, and all of a sudden cleared that up, and you had a lot more control of it. So, I'll give you a demo of what a yelp is on a ghost cut here. With the raspy side of it where I had my tongue placement before, I'll show you what that sound is. It's not as clear as clean. (laughs) 
See the two differences between those calls? I like to have that real clean Yelp out of it. Same with the combo cutter. Um, the big thing with turkey calling is you're actually, versus elk, you're actually getting that call to break over. You make that yelp sound out of it. So you're gonna drop your jaw. That's gonna change the angle, the pressure, that diaphragm uh, air coming across the reed and you get the sounds out of it. So I'll go through, here's a, uh, a cut out of a, what a hen sounds like. I'll just kind of run through some of these sounds and then I'll talk about how to apply these when it comes to hunting. Um, and then a, a purr, this is one that I'm still working on. This is, for me, on the mouth calls a little bit more of a difficult. Some guys make the purr in their throat. I'll actually flutter my tongue on it. That purr and cluck's gonna be that content sound with a hen. And uh, you can kind of run through, the biggest thing with mouth calls is finding different cuts to make those different sounds that you're comfortable with. Uh, the next tool of the trade is gonna be friction call. Um, I like friction call because they're loud. So on windy days, you can really cast that sound. A lot of times I'll use a friction call to locate. So, um, and then striker material. There's a lot of different opportunities in friction calls. Uh, this one here is a crystal over slate on a walnut wood. And the combination really is what's gonna dictate the sound of it. We've, we also make a slate call. It's a little bit softer, deeper tone, where a crystal's gonna be kind of that high note type sound. Um, and what you're gonna do with a friction call, it's all about placement of the striker and the angle and keeping that consistent pressure. So you can see how I hold the call is just with minimal contact on that, all the sound is actually coming off the bottom of that pot call. So if you hold it cupped up like this, here's what that sounds like. Real flat, I'll open my hand up. Different striker has a different sound to it too. Um, so the biggest thing with, with friction calls, like I said, the sound's gonna travel the loudest. The box call here, this is a, a purple heart wood um, with a cherry box. Um, and this is where is my go-to call on those windy days. You can get that loud yelp out of it. So it, it's the, the one thing about um, how we set up locate is I start soft. So I'll use a mouth call, real soft yelp. Go into a pot call, a little bit louder. Last, gonna go into a box call uh, to try to get that bird to gobble. So having as many different sounds and tools and all of a sudden you'll find a sound that a bird keys in on and uh, you know it may not answer a mouth yelp but you hit it that box call, all of a sudden he fires off. Um, and then for the last step on a locator call, hopefully I have one in my turkey vest. Well, you guys can hear them over there in the call booth right now. What, what we actually do is use a goose call 
a majority of the time, if we have not got a bird to gobble, um, we'll use a goose call to locate. And that honk, if you've ever been around in the valley and all of a sudden a pair of honkers are flying up and you hear birds, it's a shot gobble. Um, we'll use a honker call, use a crow call, or an owl hoot. Um, owl hoot's one I don't use as much, but I'll use a lot of that uh, in the early morning or late night for a locate. Um, do a, I just do a voice call with them. It's a barred owl. Does not travel as loud, um, but it's, it's definitely where those birds will respond to that owl hoot. So um, just something over the, like I said, as many different tools of the trade that you can have for getting those birds to gobble. Um, we basically do the cat road shuffle for gobblers. You know, we hunt public land here in Oregon, uh, down in California. Um, we're going to do Idaho and Washington this year. Um, what I, what I kind of talked about, um, to locate, you're, you're going to look, you know, like preseason stuff scouting. Those birds are going to be in clear cuts. So we hunt a lot of log country. Um, meadows, anything like that, that's where those gobblers are going to stage to try to attract the hens. I'm going to try to identify those. And I'm going to try to find the points that I can cast that sound and cover as much area as possible. And uh, so we, we go along the same tactics that we do elk hunting a lot of times. And uh, we'll cover ground. And I'm just projecting sound, trying to get to those birds to fire off. Um, and so we use the logging roads, we'll use mountain bikes a lot of times, walk in those, those logging roads as well, um, and cover as much ground as possible. Um, and the, the big thing too is looking for sign. Those birds will hang out on roads, you're going to see droppings in the road, you're going to see strut marks in the road. A lot of times you'll see, looks like someone drug a tree across the road, that's bird strutting in the road a lot of times in the gravel. So um, always when I'm, when I'm up there in the woods looking, it's looking for droppings. And do you guys know the difference between gobbler poop and hen poop? So gobbler poop's a lot bigger. It's generally in a J-type uh, J shape and it's a real white tip. Hen poop's gonna be long, singular, more brown. Um, so you can kind of key in on that as well for seeing sign. This, the setup side of it, uh, I'll just kind of go through a sequence if I was gonna try to locate bird in a new area. I'm gonna start out real soft and then increase volume as I go through those, those sound sequence. So if I came up to an area, gonna to try to get a gobbler to go, start like this. Give it just a little bit. You know, those birds have hearing like you would not believe. So you might hear that first couple, then get a little bit louder, but the big thing is you just don't want to come in and just hammer yelps at them because that bird may be closer than you think to start. Three or four yelps. Let it chill out. You might get a little bit louder and add a cut into it. Haven't got a response, this one I'm gonna pick up the slate call, friction call. The other thing too is just call conditioning. You can see I carry just a little case in here. I've got some Brillo pad, sandpaper, and then also if you see, I'll take a lighter to my striker. This is gonna get rid of any moisture or oils on that striker. 
go through that. Same deal, I'm gonna start soft on the friction call. They haven't answered that. That's when I'm gonna go to the box call. That sound's gonna project. And if you haven't had one answer that yet, that's when you're gonna go into the goose call scarecrow type. Uh, if you've watched any of our YouTube videos, we use that scarecrow. It's a goose call that we flutter our tongue and uh, get that raven sound. And we've had birds answer over a mile away off of that call. So it's, and if you hear it, you can hear that whole sound run down the canyon and all of a sudden you'll get a bird to crack off over there. So um, the other side of it, wind, right? Or weather is gonna be key. I like a, a clear morning, no wind, no rain, no fog. Um, that's when those birds are gonna be active. Calling in the, in the windy days and the rainy days is going to be that challenge. Those birds are not going to be up strutting and gobbling. They're going to be hunkered down feeding. Um, you can still get it done, but it, it's definitely a, a slow play knowing where those birds are working in and out. But on, a, on those clear mornings is when you get the most activity out of a bird. And one thing too, uh, we, we do do a lot of uh, roosting at night trying to find birds in that last little bit and have them figured out roosting where they are in the morning. And the one thing that we picked up this year is going in super early. If we got a bird located on the tree, we know where he's at, we got him pinpointed. Um, I'm gonna get in there a solid hour before daylight, hour and a half before daylight. And, and this year we actually were able to get, we had one bird that we slipped in in California and we were 40 yards from that bird. I know he had to see us or hear us in the dark but an hour goes by, he starts gobbling in the dark, kind of things settle down and he flew down literally at our feet and shot him first five minutes of daylight. So um, if you're gonna try to slip in there right at daylight, that's when they're gonna pick you off. So um, we found uh, this year a couple different times to get in there uh, an hour before daylight, hour before shooting light, let things settle down and uh, be ready. So the big thing, you get a response, now what? First thing we're gonna do is gonna pull out our phone, pull up Onyx, and pinpoint where that gobble was at. And it's like, okay, is he in this meadow? Is he on this finger ridge? Really try to figure out what the next step is and analyze what the terrain is. Um, from there, it's time of day, right? Is it, is it early morning, early in the season? Is he henned up? Um, chances are, early in the season, he's got hens. He's gonna be gobbling off the limb, as soon as he flies down, you might get him to gobble one or two more times and then he's with his hens. What he's not doing is gobbling and attracting other gobblers. He's already got his hens, he's gonna be locked down. Those birds are gonna be hard. A lot of times if, if we hear a bird hammering in the tree, he flies down, shuts up, we might back out of there and go try to find another bird that's hammering out of the tree and come back to that bird midday because chances are if he's got hens, he's locked up, you're not gonna call that bird away from those hens. So uh, time of day is gonna be things. Is he gobbling on his own? This kind of goes to, you're trying to understand what's going on painting that picture. If he's gobbling on his own, chances are he's by himself. He's trying to get those hens to come to him. That's a bird that you're gonna wanna be able to go after. If he's gobbling only on the limb, 
and he flies down and gobbles once or twice. He's going to be hinned up, and that's going to be a tough, tough battle. Um, drumming, that's another one. It's like, how close are you? Sometimes, especially these Rios that we have here, uh, Miriam's on the east side of the state, their gobble isn't as loud as an Eastern. It doesn't travel as far. We've been fooled on, he's facing away, and we thought he was several hundred yards, and he was only a hundred, excuse me, 125 yards. Um, but that drumming actually carries a lot of, um, if you're sitting there quiet and you can hear him, and if you haven't heard drumming, it's that boom, that real boom, and that's him when he's in a strut. So you can kind of dictate the distance. If, you, if you're hearing drumming, that's the time to find a spot to set up right now. So uh, make a plan, make a decision. How far is he? Do I need to move up on him or do I need to hang back here? Um, the, the telltale there, like I said, it, we try to get as close as we possibly can before we set up on that bird without getting busted. Turkeys have the best eyesight. I mean, that is their number one defense is eyesight. If they could smell, I don't think you'd ever kill them. The, you know, I mean, it's, uh, the, their eyesight is what keeps them uh, alive. So you, you got to also use the terrain. Um, I personally, I, I brought all these decoys. I've kind of switched to the mode that I don't hunt over decoys. And I just like the, the style of run and gun and trying to trick him. And it, 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 at that point, it's going to be about the terrain. If you're in wide open country, decoys are a great tool. Like I said, they use their eyesight to uh, stay alive, but also key in on things. A decoy is a great distraction for them. But uh, what I like to do is set up in terrain where you have to call him. Uh, and I kind of learned this when, last year. We went out hunted Easterns with the hunting public guys. And they're turkey wizards. I learned so much in four days of hunting with those guys. They'll actually place the sound where they want that bird to come to. So if they've got a bird hammering, a lot of times what we're looking for is little terrain features, little finger ridges, micro terrain, where that bird's got to come all the way up to where that sound is. Um, if, you, if you talk about birds that get hung up, a lot of times they can see where that sound is coming from and there's, it's 60, 80 yards. That's where they're going to hang up because they're like, well, I know that turkey was right there. They can pinpoint where that sound came from. So where you, where you got to find is these terrain breaks or cover breaks uh, to, to set up on those birds. So um, the other thing is like, you got to make a decision. A lot of people, the fear of failure, we talk about this with elk hunting a lot. It's like, they got a bird goblin. It's awesome that every time they call, the bird hammers back goblin, but then they're afraid to sneak in there and try to get them to call in. And, and uh, they sit down right there and they didn't want to screw it up. Well. Nine times out of 10, that bird's not going to come from a couple hundred yards. He's going to come that 50 to 100 yards max. So don't be afraid to make some mistakes there. Um, the setup, closing the distance. We always talk about, uh, and this is Zach from THP, he said, old sun come up. And that, those birds, the best way to get them killed is coming up the hill. It's hard to get them to come down a hill. They're, they're, if they're up high, they can see better. Um, so if anything, if we've got a bird located, we're gonna circle around and try to get above him to call him up. Um, at the worst case, is gonna be side hill. But I'll never set up on a bird trying to come down if I, if I can. So um, the topography, like I said, is gonna dictate your setups. 
If, if you're on a finger ridge and you got a bird hammering on that finger ridge, I'm gonna set up just on one side of that finger ridge, the opposite of where he is, to try to get him to come up, up over the top. And a lot of times the birds we're killing, you're just gonna get a periscope, you know, that, that head comes up over the ridge, and I'm, I'm gonna get it to where he's close, 15, 20 yards is trying to, to do that. I talk about placing. So if, if we got a bird hammering down the ridge, we've got a great tree with lots of good cover that's set up. What I'll do is I'll actually walk another 15, 20 yards to where that I want that bird to be, slip down the ridge, give that last yelp, and then slip back to that tree and sit down and shut up. And, and like I said, nine times out of 10, they literally come to that exact spot where that last sound was. So they've got to get to there. So um, it, it was really eye-opening this year watching that and how effective it was. Um, the big thing on setup, right? A lot of guys will just plop down at any tree. It might be a small tree, it might be out in the sun. You gotta be in the shadows as much as you can. You gotta use uh, you know, face masks, effective camo. I, I'm really a big believer um, for my face mask. I switched to a full leafy suit uh, type face mask. Wear gloves. They will see the whites of your eyes. They'll see the backs of your hands. Um, and, and you just have to try to, if, if there's an opportunity, a big base tree that's got some brush cover around it. And two, if you've got time, grab a limb, bring it into you and kind of break up as much cover as you can because uh, those birds will pick you apart when you, when you set up and find that. Um, and then the other thing is like, if, you're, if you've got a blackberry row, that, that bird's gonna come up to and he's gonna gobble and strut on the other side. D don't let that barrier be that last spot. He's gonna hang up creeks, fence lines, anything that's, that's heavy, dense cover. A lot of times those birds will come to that and stop. So if you can, work a way around and know, kind of predict where they're gonna hang up. Any questions so far? We'll keep cranking away here. So. Why wouldn't I start with a box call to locate? Because you never know if that bird's 100 yards. So I, I always start soft and increase volume and aggression side of it versus come in there and yop, 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 and then what the heck, you know, where'd that girl come from? And so I, I definitely, you know, uh, and, and same with the shot call, like that's kind of the last resort. Um, coyote haulers are another one, peacock calls on the, on that, you know, it's just truck doors honk, honk the horn. I, it, yeah, I've heard it all on, you know, guys that got birds to gobble. Um, but so the, the big thing in turkey calling, um, I, I go as subtle as much as I can. Um, I get him excited, get him to hammer if he's a double goblin, triple goblin, get him excited and then shut up and let him get curious of it. Like I said, their nature is they're gonna gobble for you to come to them. And if you're not answering him, he's like, wait a second, I'm gonna go check this out. If you answer him every time, like if he's gobble, if he gobbles and you answer him, you're confirming I'm coming to you. So that bird's just gonna stay gobbling, strutting in that position. So, uh, you know, it's, a, it's fun to hear him gobble all that, but you, you gotta get him excited and then cut him off. Um, they're coming there, you know, get them excited to breed. Um, so I try not to overcall. It's, 
super hard to sit there at the base of the tree and be like, okay, I'm not gonna call for another 10 minutes. Look at my phone, it's been two and a half minutes. Like, man, I gotta try it one more time. You know, give it some time. Um, like I said, if you get that bird really excited, fired up, and shut it down, that's nine times out of 10 how to get that bird to come to you. Um, the other side of it, scratching. Um, we don't have as many hardwoods around here as, as back east. Like when we were in West Virginia, Kentucky, and Ohio, the leaves were that thick, and it literally, when you heard turkeys, it sounded like T-Rex walking through the forest. Um, and, but scratching is, those birds are feeding. If, if uh, gobblers got hens, you can hear those turkeys a long ways away. It's a really good way to finish a bird. So if you're at a base of the tree and you've got, got leaves next to you, it's that shh, shh, shh. Then they'd peck, shh, shh. And, and it works really good to finish birds where you don't have to call, but it adds realism to that setup. Um, and like I said, curiosity killed the tom. Um, get them excited, shut it up. You know, and I, I usually, for the most part, you can, you can hear a bird and he, he might be gobbling on his own and he's searching for you at that point. And if he's gobbling on his own and he's coming, don't answer him. He knows where you're at. He's just trying to seek you out. If you start answering him, all of a sudden he's gonna stop and you're gonna boom and he's gonna start strutting again. So shut it down. Let, be patient and let that curiosity get him. All right, shooting the gobbler. Um, we, I, I actually had a blast this last year. I switched to a 20 gauge. Um, and so we were trying to get those birds inside 25 yards, 20 yards. We killed the closest one I think was like 12 yards this year. So um, know your gun, pattern it before season. The big thing is when can you move? If you can see the bird, you can't move. Like they will pick you apart. Um, doesn't matter, brush, anything. If, if that bird is halfway visible, do not move. Um, gotta keep, you gotta be up and ready in position. Um, you know, when I go to set up, I'll show you guys with this vest. As Trent likes to call this, this is the flaps down mode. This is up, flaps down. Um, I'm nestled in against the tree right here, right? And what I'm doing, and this is actually backwards because I'm left-handed, but for most people, I've got my gun up and it's ready to go. I'm, I'm holding it here. When that bird's finishing, I've got my almost cheek on it, anticipating, and you're pointing the barrel down exactly where you think that bird, where you place that call, you, and your head's ready to go. You can hear him walking. The last thing you want to be doing is have your gun down, your head up, you're moving around. When you're sitting there and that bird's coming in, I'm literally just using my eyes at that point. I'm not trying to, minimal movement. Um, I've got a little rig here, right here. So when I'm set up left-handed, it's just a little piece of P-cord. The butt of the gun slides in here, comes underneath my shoulder so I don't have to physically hold it the whole time. I'll have my front hand forward. And if I'm running a, a friction call or something, I can still run that hands free. Um, like I said, it just, little piece of P-cord, that gun slides in, comes up to my shoulder and it just sits there. But you can't move, that's the th biggest thing. And all of a sudden if you hear, you know, that bird's coming in, he gobbles to your left or right, he's out of sight, make the movement then. Like if he's just over the ridge out of sight, make slow movement. You know, you don't wanna make this big movement all the way over if you can't. So um, keep the minimal movement down 
And uh, all right, shot distance. Like I said, we patterned guns out. Um, we were running TSS and we shot a pattern at 60 yards with a 20 gauge and it had 40 pellets in the kill zone. I wouldn't recommend shooting a turkey at 60 yards. Like try to get it inside that 30 mark, you know, um, know your weapon, know, know what load and what the capabilities are. It was crazy, we did a, a test pattern and we bought from a $5 box of turkey loads up to $72 for five shells. And I was like, there's no way the value of that $70 box is that much better than a $20 box. And it was hands down uh, impressive. So just experiment, know what your weapon can do, buy a turkey choke. Um, when you're aiming at them, don't just aim at the head. We always like base of the neck and uh, like the, the quote from Christmas Vacation, of, say the neck for me, Clark. You're not going to eat up here, but that, you know, that spine column and head is where you want to aim. So always, we always, I always kind of center that bead right there at the base where the, the head starts and the neck feathers start and uh, works good. Commence kill mode. So safety up as that bird comes in, safety's already off, point in the direction and uh, take your time and squeeze. You're not shooting the duck. Don't just close your eyes and jerk the trigger. Take the time, squeeze through the shot. Q&A. The big thing for me, real quick, um, I always take notes. What did I see? What were the birds doing? What time of year? Were they hend up early? Uh, what, what you're kind of going through and seeing? Uh, you have reference then as the season goes on to know what, you know, pa put patterns together as the season progresses. That May time, uh, you know, for me, those birds usually have already been bred. Those toms are trying to seek out any hen that they can to to get on lockdown, so, yep. Next year I got into a kid that was like six or ten, I think they were Jake's. Yeah. Jake's, we always kind of talk it, they're kind of punks. Like, especially when you got six or ten together, they're running around, they're causing wreaking havoc. Um, they can be challenging and then sometimes they all six it's going to be a race to that bird too so um, it they're they're the most unpredictable I would say on, on Jake's side of life they're either going to come running or they're going to gobble case in point Eric and I hunted a spot over east we heard this bird and you know a, a, the difference in a gobble too from a Jake and our, our Jake's actually gobble for the most part eastern Jake's don't even gobble because it's like they don't turkeys have a, a a dominance. There's a pecking order from the big tom all the way down and they don't want to attract another tom to get their butt kicked. But uh, in any case, there was four or five jakes together and when they gobbled, I mean it was pow! And we we're like, yep, long beard over there, let's go after it. Got over there and then you'd hear you know, the jake gobble and it was like, wait a second, and there was no long beard in there and those, those jakes come in like, all right, here, king of the castle. And yeah, so Jake's are a tough one, you know, what they're gonna do. And if they're all together, they can mess things up for you with the big tom too. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, I, I don't know that there's any, I would set up on them just like a tom if I could. Um, and they're either gonna do it or not. And yeah, it's, it's challenging at times. Last year, they're up, man. So, 
Yeah, it's pretty much once you hear that putt, 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 gig, gig is up. Like you've either got to shoot them right now or yeah, you're not generally at, at that point. Is there that's their alarm? The the putt when you hear that, that's their alarm, and it's like gig is up. They saw something. Something's not right. And uh, if they start walking, it chances are they're they're just going to get faster and, and bug out. Yeah. Any more questions? The one thing, like I like I said, I I personally stopped hunting over a decoy. Um, you know, be careful on public land. You know, a, a half strut or or a full strut decoy. They're super effective. That, like I said, the one defense that turkeys have is their eyesight. Well, like talking about pecking order, you use a full strut decoy, you have a dominant tom in that area, he's coming to kick that tom's butt. Like he's coming in to fight. Um, on public land, I would not run a full strut decoy. It's just, there's too many people out there that are cruising around, they hear a gobble, they're gonna sneak in and try to get it killed. Um, I had a case in point where I was working a bird and a, there, I didn't have a decoy out, but I heard this truck, I heard the door shut, the bird that I, I hadn't called, that bird gobbled to it. And all of a sudden I heard him yelping and it was like, I'm in between, or the turkey's kind of off to my right here and I'm kind of in between where that truck was and turkey. And I just, it, did, it wasn't a comfortable setting. I just backed out of there just cause I didn't want some guy slipping in and, and doing the rascally rabbit hunt. So, um, but like I said, decoys are super effective. They, uh, if you're in open country, field country, um, fanning is another one. You know, those birds are going to respond to a fan. Trent, Trent and those guys in California last year had birds 900 yards away, all the way across this open pasture. They stood up on the dike, called, fanned, and all of a sudden, uh, I don't know if you guys saw that video, they killed three longbeards in one setup. It was from that fan that those birds saw it from 900 yards and literally ran all the way across the field. Yeah, so... But yeah, it's just one of those, you got to, on, on public, be real careful on it. It's, a, it's caution, caution, but fanning, you know, using a, a strutter decoy, all that, the, the one defense they have is their eyesight and, and you can beat them at that with, with a strutter or a fan. Any more questions? Yeah, fall. I haven't. Um, chasing big game and, and waterfowl in the fall. Uh, the thing I've heard about fall hunting, those toms are all grouped up, also sometimes grouped up with hens, is, uh, and they have all their spring poults with them. And if you hear, if you hear them, the sound is a kiki, um, and it's a lot of times it's those younger birds. Can't even do it. That kiki in the in the fall times. A lot of times, what you do is break up that flock of birds. You literally bust them up, and then they start talking, and you'll kiki and yelp, and all of a sudden, all those birds will kind of come back together. It's the one tactic I've heard that's pretty effective. And hopefully, uh, uh, that helped you guys a little bit in the spring. Like I said, it's for me. I've become overly obsessed. I spend a lot of time in the spring in the woods chasing gobblers and, and enjoy it. And it's some of, for me, I, I call them, like I said, bulls of the spring. And the joke for me all the time with these guys is I think I'd rather hunt an elk-sized turkey 
than a turkey-sized elk. You know, could you imagine a little bull coming in and bugling? That wouldn't be that fun. But if you had a velociraptor turkey coming in, it'd be pretty dang fun. So, bulls of the spring. All right, thanks, guys.